Hi, I'm Dev. And I'm Cam. And you're listening to Criminalish, a true crime podcast where two best friends trade stories ranging from the wild and wacky to the downright messed up. listening to the Criminalish podcast? Want to hear more from Kim and Dev? Then consider becoming a subscriber for $2.99 a month. Subscribers will have exclusive access to minisodes, Dev and Cam's live reactions to crime shows and documentaries, as well as early access to any multi-part episodes and so much more. Click the link in the show description if you're interested in subscribing. See y'all in Cell Block C. So today I will be telling Cam about the murder of Krista and Bart Halderson, which took place in Windsor, Wisconsin. Have you heard of this case before, Cam? No. That actually makes me so happy because I worked really hard to write this script today and I was actually going to be all the way in my feelings if you had heard this case already. (laughs) Well, I will say I don't recognize the names, so I don't think that I've heard this, but it has happened before where I didn't remember the names, but I did remember the case. Right. So hopefully that doesn't happen. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. But this case came to a conclusion pretty recently in March of 2022. And this case is one that I have actually followed very closely since its induction to its conclusion. So I'm ready to take y'all on this roller coaster that I've been riding for the last two years. But I do want to extend some trigger warnings in this case for self-harm and dismemberment. Nice. Seems like we're right back where we were with McLean. Would it really be a case from Wisconsin if we didn't have dismemberment, though? I guess so. Honestly, I can't say I know too much about people who live in Wisconsin. The only thing I really know is that they do drink a lot up there. I mean, it is cold up there. I guess you expected to stay warm somehow, you know? And it's five o'clock somewhere. And since we're talking about drinks, what are you drinking today, friend? Today, I am back at it with some H2O. Always staying hydrated. Nice. I am also just having some H2O today because I've been feeling severely dehydrated the last couple of days. So definitely got to stay on top of that and fix it. Sometimes to spice it up, I like to add some cucumber or lime juice or lemon juice to my water. If I'm ever getting bored of just drinking plain old water. Okay, spice it up. I am actually a big lover of the liquid IV. So if you ever want some of those, it adds a little bit of flavor to your water. And allegedly it's supposed to double your hydration. I don't know if that's actually the case, but I like the way it tastes and it spices up my water every now and again. So again, today's case, we'll be discussing the murder of Bart and Krista Halderson, which took place in Windsor, Wisconsin. So Bart A. Halderson was born on May 14th, 1971 in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, to parents Blake and Kaylee Halderson. 
He has been described as having a very normal and happy childhood with one brother before graduating from Valders High School in 1989. Upon his graduation from high school, Bart went on to earn a bachelor's degree from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And while working towards his degree, he meets his future wife, Krista Ray Fodder. Krista Fodder was born on January 25th, 1968 in Madison, Wisconsin to parents Andrew and Betty Fodder. Her childhood, similar to Bart, was described as very happy and she had one brother and two sisters. And she graduated from Madison East High School in 1986. Before going on to the University of Wisconsin, Madison, and meeting her future husband, Bart. And after a few years of dating, on July 30th, 1994, when Bart was 23 and Krista was 26, the couple got married. A few years into their marriage, they had a son in 1996, and they named him Mitchell. And 18 months later, they had another son in 1998, and they named him Chandler. The family also had two dogs named Izzy and Rizzo, and that completed the Halderson family. Professionally, Bart was employed as a certified accountant for BDO USA, one of the nation's leading accounting and advisory firms, and Krista was a stay-at-home mom to her sons, and as they became older, she became an administrative assistant for Zimbrick Automotive, a local automotive shop in Wisconsin. And the couple have been described as extremely hardworking people who were devoted parents and they loved each other deeply. So the family had settled down in Windsor, Wisconsin, and by all accounts, the Halderson family was a loving group that looked out for each other and supported each other. And Bart and Krista specifically were described as very good parents. They set healthy expectations and boundaries with their children, and they didn't seem like strict authoritarians by any account. The only minor thing that was ever stated about their parenting style is that Krista was prone to being a bit of a helicopter parent who never wanted her children to get hurt. So by 2021, Mitchell and Chandler, by all accounts, had a very happy childhood and Mitchell went on to graduate from high school and college before being employed by Epic Systems as a technical service representative and moving out of the family home. However, he did stay close to the family home in Dane County, Wisconsin, so maybe a 30-minute drive. Mitchell had also been seeing a woman named Caitlin, and soon after graduating college, the two would get engaged in December of 2020. Chandler, on the other hand, was still in college, attending Madison Area Technical College, but was getting ready to graduate with a degree in renewable resource engineering, and he worked as a teacher's assistant. He also had a job at American Family Insurance as a community manager. He still lived at the family home with his parents as he was still in school. And due to the pandemic, Chandler was working both of his jobs from home in early 2021. However, upon completing his education, Chandler had actually been offered a job at SpaceX right here in Jacksonville, Florida, and was planning to move here with his girlfriend, Catherine, to work his dream job. So not only was Chandler working multiple jobs, he was very active in the community and he was volunteering his time with the Madison police with their Department of Natural Resources on their rescue diving team as a scuba diver. He was a very strong and talented swimmer. So while everything seems to be going very well for the family, suddenly, almost out of the blue, 
Mitchell is rushed to the hospital in early June of 2021. He had gone to the doctor for his first checkup since the pandemic, and upon receiving some blood work, he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And this event kind of shook the family and especially shook Krista. Mitchell has even said that he heard stories of her calling her best friend sobbing due to her concern about Mitchell's condition. But despite this, the family really banded together to make sure that Mitchell was okay. And Krista spent all of her time trying to make sure that Mitchell was going to make a full and healthy recovery. And after a short amount of time, Mitchell did get better. However, tragedy struck the family again one week later, as this time Chandler had suffered a severe fall in the family home. He was rushed to the hospital where he was diagnosed with a severe concussion and he had to wear a neck brace in order to stabilize his head. And again, Bart and Krista were so concerned for their children that they really took all of their attention into making sure they were both okay. Yeah, especially those two things happening one after the other. I can imagine they were very worried about their children. Absolutely. And it just seemed like nothing could go right for the family as Chandler starts expressing some very severe symptoms as a result of his fall. He stated that he was feeling leg weakness, so severe that at times it was hard for him to walk. He was experiencing muscle spasms, just general cognitive difficulties, and it was very disorienting for him. He also had a plethora of other neurological symptoms that were greatly affecting his ability to thrive. And the final blow to the family, and to Chandler specifically, was dealt when the doctors told him it would not be in his best interest to fly and travel to his new job at SpaceX. Oh, man. And Chandler and his family were absolutely devastated because Chandler had worked so hard to get there and he had put in all this time in school. And now it seemed like his dreams were going to be crushed due to this fall. So was the doctor saying that he didn't recommend Chandler fly to Jacksonville or he wasn't recommending that Chandler go to Jacksonville at all? He wasn't recommending that Chandler fly to Jacksonville. Okay. So driving was still a possibility? In theory, yes, but I think he couldn't drive himself. He has said that he was told he shouldn't drive because of his leg weakness and his cognitive disabilities. That's not really safe, you know? And despite this crushing news to Chandler and his family, they still very much banded together and everyone was kind of in a lull going into July of 2021 after the series of events that had taken place. But overall, the family was in good spirits. So on Thursday, July 1st, Krista and Bart had made plans with another couple to go up to a cabin that the family owned in North Wisconsin in White Lake. So about a three hour drive from Windsor. Chandler assured his mother that he would be just fine and that he could take care of himself for the weekend because his girlfriend was going to come over and stay with him. His girlfriend, Catherine, was a nurse, so Krista felt like she was going to be very good at taking care of her son. So with that, Chandler helped his parents pack up some liquor, some tools, and a couple of other random things for their trip. He stated that their cabin needed some work, and Bart and Krista, as well as his other couple, was going to go work on the cabin as well as enjoyed the parade and fireworks that were going to be taking place on the lake for the 4th of July. The following day, 
on Friday, July 2nd, Chandler woke up to the house being empty. But Bart and Krista's cars were still parked outside the house, so he assumed that Bart and Krista had left the home sometime early in the morning before he woke up and assumed that they rode with the couple they were planning to go to the cabin with. Chandler goes out to run a series of errands on Friday and Saturday, but doesn't hear anything from his parents on those days. But this was pretty normal due to service being spotty up on the northern woodland side of Wisconsin. He spends time with his girlfriend and her family, both at the Halderson home as well as at Catherine's mother's partner's farm. On the morning of July 4th, he finally receives a text from his mom that says, quote, made it safely, can't get anything through, and yes, it's packed. Going to White Lake today for the parade. We'll be home Monday night slash Tuesday early. Love you lots, end quote. And he receives this text after sending a couple of texts to his mom. So her response is in response to his previous text messages. And again, not hearing from his parents the first two days of the trip did not raise any alarm for Chandler as Bart and Krista had a habit of turning off their phones when they went up to the cabin in White Lake to avoid roaming charges while attempting to use the spotty service. So this text puts Chandler at ease and he continues to run errands and hang out with his girlfriend while waiting for his parents to return home. He spends the 4th of July with his girlfriend's family and returns to the family farm on Monday the 5th to use the pool as he felt like it was good therapy for his leg weakness and other neurological issues he was suffering from as a result of his fall back in June. However, when Monday comes to an end, Bart and Krista have still not returned home. Tuesday comes and they're still not there. Wednesday comes and they're still not there. And finally, on Wednesday, July 7th, Chandler goes to the local police department to report his parents missing because he still had not heard from them apart from that one text from his mother on July 4th. At the police station, the officers ask him when's the last time he saw his parents and what were they doing, and he tells them the story that I have laid out for you, that his parents were going to the cabin for the 4th of July festivities, that they were supposed to come back on Monday. With this information, the Dane County Sheriff's Office contacts the Langlade County Sheriff's Office and asks them to check out the cabin to see if Bart and Krista were maybe still there or somewhere else in the county. And just to be clear, White Lake is in Langlade County. After going to the police, Chandler also informs Mitchell of his parents' absence. And Mitchell and his fiance actually go to the cabin with the Langlade Police Department to check if his parents are there and to open the cabin for them if they need to get inside. But when the police arrive at the cabin, they notice that everything is still locked up like no one had been there. And they actually had to break into the cabin because Mitchell's key wouldn't open the front door. And it was evident that no one had been to the cabin in a very long time. And they definitely hadn't been to the cabin over the weekend. And with that, the investigation of what happened to Bart and Krista began. So right now, what we know is that Bart and Krista were supposed to have gone with their friends to the cabin to spend 4th of July weekend with them. 
And this is a cabin that Mitchell and Chandler had also been to before as was to own this cabin. They went there often. Correct. Mitchell actually said that his grandfather had built that cabin. So it was more of a family inherited kind of space. That's that's actually really beautiful. And we also know that the only communication that Chandler has had with his parents since Thursday night, because he didn't actually see them Friday morning, the only communication that Chandler has had with his parents since Thursday night is that text he got from his mom on Sunday, basically responding to his other text and saying that they'd be back Monday night or Tuesday morning. Correct. Okay. I'm definitely side-eyeing whoever this couple is, but also curious about the fact that they left Friday morning without saying anything to Chandler. Knowing that Krista was so worried about Chandler's condition, I would have thought that she would have at least stopped in to just check on him, ask him how he was doing, even if he was groggy, half sleep, she would have at least stopped and checked in on him. So I am turning that, that fact over in my mind too. And I think that's valid to look at too. So initially, as information was coming in, the police didn't make any statements to the media about where the investigation was going or what they were doing. However, the media was able to get a statement from Chandler the following day on July 8th. And here is that statement for y'all. All I would really want to ask you is just if there's any information that you feel like, you know, would be worthwhile for us to share, anything that you feel like is, is important for us to share, just anything, anything like that, of that mm -hmm. nature. Um, so my last uh, message I got from them, they were going to White Lake for the 4th of July. There's some festivities that go around there, you know, better drink prices at bars, stuff like that for, um, yeah, White Lake, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. um, other than that, their plan, or from to my knowledge, they're going to Langlade County to a cabin, uh, their cabin. Um, along the way, they could have stopped many places. I, I wouldn't know all of them. Mm. Mm. But it's about three hours north of Madison or Dane County. And they left then a week ago today on the first Friday, Friday. Friday morning. So that would have been the second right of July when they left. Yes. And that's the last you'd heard of them. Yes, it is. And then was it yesterday that you called the sheriff's office or someone with your family called the sheriff's office just to I go check? back on that. Norris. I actually got a text from them on Sunday telling me they were going to White Lake. Okay. I don't know when the text was sent because of reception issues that they would have. And they usually turn their phone off because of pay for roaming yeah um we they it could have been whenever they sent that message that they made it safely and they're going to white lake for the fourth okay so yeah so it was probably the last couple of days that you started to get nervous yeah. then um is there people you know we see comments people say you know are they up north is the cell service bad you know could they yeah. you know just not be able to get a hold of is there anything that you feel like is kind of going on here that leads you to be a little bit more nervous that that's not the case um my aunt went up there and was able to call me okay. at the, at, while she was at the cabin okay so she was able to call me i don't know what provider she's using mm -hmm. but U.S. Cellular would take up most of Wisconsin, so like they'd be able to call today. Mm -hmm. Because this weekend it was packed. I, I get that. Packed. Maybe the weather wasn't great for messaging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so mm -hmm. 
knows. And then the other thing I wanted to ask you about was <clears throat> the or a lot of the comments people were concerned or kind of wanted some clarification about the vehicle, right? Because the reports mm-hmm. from the sheriff's office say they, they didn't have a car or there wasn't a car with them. Yeah, they brought or they were picked up by their friends. Okay. Who I never got the name of. And I, I assumed it was someone I was aware of. Like the close neighbors of theirs up the street or um, their best friends down on the east side. So that's what I assumed. I never really asked any further in it to, into it. And so they got picked up and they all went up there by like another couple. Picked up here? Yeah, here at my house. Okay. Before I woke up, they, they had everything packed up. And, Jeez. and do you, you don't know who they're... Who? No. Jeez. And that's, uh, I mean, that, that has happened before where they just kind of head out before I leave or I wake up you know I'm heavy sleeper mm-hmm. I, I'm on a schedule I wake up at six to feed the dogs and they were out before six mm-hmm. beat the, the rush to get to the north mm-hmm. so okay so after hearing that that kind of answers the one question I had about them leaving without saying anything so according to Chandler it does sound like that has happened before and it makes a little bit more sense understanding that he's a heavy sleeper and they wanted to get out before everyone else started driving up to White Lake. But yeah, it is scary to know that your parents were leaving with their friends, but you don't know who the friends are, so you don't even know who to ask. I do wonder if he'd already tried calling some of the friends that he did know to ask if they had made plans with his parents. So to answer your question, that's how he found out they weren't with the couples that he expected them to be with. Because like he said, he did call their best friend and he called the neighbor, which are the two people that he would expect them to go with. But yeah, so he's like, I don't know these people. They said they were going to do this thing and now nobody's come back home. And that's really weird. So after Chandler gives this statement to the media, the police are doing their investigation. And they figure out a couple of things. First, they figure out that Krista was supposed to work on the Friday that she and Bart left for this trip. And on Friday, she actually no call, no showed to work, which she had never done in her entire time working for the auto shop. In actuality, it was her practice to tell them months in advance when she was going to take time off. And the same thing goes for Bart. He also no call, no show to work on Friday. And even though he worked from home, it was customary for him to call and check in. So one thing I noticed in Chandler's statement was that he said, um, yeah, they were supposed to go to the lake house, their lake house. And I would have thought he would have said, our lake house. So it was strange to me that he's at their lake house because it was like separating himself from them. That's all I'm going to say. Continue. But just know I am a little suspicious of Chandler. I was like, he wouldn't do it with a concussion, but I am a little, little suspicious of Chandler, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Could be reading into it too much. I will say in that regard, Mitchell kind of addresses the cabin the same way he similarly addresses it as his parents' cabin and then corrects himself to say it is a family cabin that his grandfather built, but 
it's not like a oh it's our cabin like yeah it's our cabin he doesn't he doesn't address it that way either so similarly to you this is starting to ring off some alarms in police head so while the police were doing their due diligence on bart and krista chandler was trying to do his own investigation around his house he actually started going to his neighbors and asking them if they had ring or security camera footage that they could turn over to the police and if they needed help looking through the footage to see if there had been any video of his parents leaving the house with the unknown couple. However, the police had already started collecting a lot of this footage and had not shared that information with Chandler. But once he finds that out, he returns home and he and Catherine sat together patiently waiting for the police to get back to them. And after a few hours, the police returned to the Halderson home and asked Chandler and Catherine to come down to the police station and talk with them. And they agree. And they head down to the police station, hoping to get some answers and some information on what has happened. Catherine tells police that she had a great weekend with Chandler, that everything was perfectly normal and that she didn't notice anything weird about his behavior over the last week until he reported his parents missing to the police. She's showing them her phone. She's answering all their questions and she's providing as much information to the police as possible because Catherine is a true crime girly. And based on everything she knows and based on her own statements, she knows that in an investigation, you have to eliminate a person's inner circle. So she is giving all the information that she can possibly give because she's like, oh, yeah, they have to eliminate all of us so they can figure out who this unknown couple is and, and you know, move through the investigation. So we got to run it. We have nothing to hide. So we're running it. And I know that's how I would be, too. If somebody I knew was being investigated and I didn't think they were involved, I'd be like, yep, they were with me from these hours to these hours. This is how their behavior usually is. It didn't change. I have no reason to suspect them. If I know them when they're stressed, this is how they act when they're stressed and they weren't acting like that. I would also be going in because I know how police approach investigations. And sometimes it's not that they're suspicious of that person, but they're going to be suspicious of everyone and everyone is guilty until proven innocent. I definitely agree. In police interrogations and investigations, everyone is guilty until proven innocent. And most of Catherine's interview is available online and you can go watch it. And yeah, baby girl is spilling every single bean she ever had. So in Chandler's interview, he again tells police that he helped his parents pack for this cabin trip for the 4th of July weekend, as well as all the other information that I have previously provided to you about his personal life. And after this interview, the police inform Chandler that they know exactly what happened to his parents. And they inform him that he is under arrest for the murder of Bart and Krista Halderson. So I'm sure you're wondering, what? How do we get to Chandler being arrested for the murder of his parents, Bart and Krista Halderson? And wait, when, when, when did this happen? Like how many days? What, what day? I, I, what's going on? He is arrested on July 8th. Remember, he went to the police station on July 7th. 
How do they know they're dead? Oh, we'll get there, friend. Oh, Lord. Sometimes I just be talking to talk. I don't always, I don't always think I'm right. Sometimes I don't want to be right. Okay. I'm listening. Y'all, she is so upset. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, it would be such a twist if it was Chandler. But like he had the concussion. That's their son. You know, loving family. Hmm. All that glitters ain't gold, I guess. All that glitters is definitely not gold, friend. Because what if I told you that everything I have told you about Chandler's personal and professional life was a lie? And what if I told you what actually happened leading up to the disappearance of Bart and Krista Halderson? Well, Dev, I have to say you truly shocked me with this one. The way you set this up, I was expecting a sad story, but I was not expecting this. Oh, just wait, friend, because now we're going to get into everything that happened and came out as a result of the investigation or directly came from Chandler's girlfriend, Catherine, as she and her mother and her mother's partner had extensive interviews with police in order to put together this timeline. So the first lie I need to clarify for you is that Chandler Halderson was not enrolled in school at Madison Area Technical College. He failed out after his first semester in 2019, but he never told his parents that. And he had been lying to them, forging his transcripts and forging emails with his advisor for almost two years. And since he wasn't enrolled at school, I'm sure you can also guess that he was not a teacher's assistant at the school. You know, when you were describing Chandler earlier, I was like, this sounds like such a nice young man studying renewable resource engineering. He's a teacher's assistant, volunteers with the police to do scuba diving. This really just seemed like a man who loved giving back. But wow. I mean, that's what he wanted you to think. Yeah. But wow, forging transcripts for two years, keeping that lie up for two years, and then making up all the other lies about how you're spending your time is wild. Oh, it gets better, friend. We're not done. Because. The next lie is the Madison Police Department and the Department of Natural Resources doesn't even have a scuba diving team. There is also no evidence that he ever worked for American Family Insurance. And there's also no evidence that he even applied for a job, much less had any job at SpaceX. Honestly, my big question is why? I do get lying about being in school because I think that for a lot of people there is pressure from their parents to go to school, get the degree, do well, all of that. And not living up to those expectations can be very difficult. So I do understand lying about that. But to make up all the other lies, I don't get it. 
oh, and you're really not going to get this one, friend, because probably worst of all, he also faked his entire head injury. He did have a fall. He did go to the doctor and the doctor actually diagnosed him with a mild concussion and told him that he could use a neck brace if he felt like he needed it due to Chandler's exaggeration of just how bad his symptoms were because Chandler was telling other people that as a result of this horrific fall in the family home, he was suffering from a brain bleed, a hematoma, that he had spinal damage, that he needed his head drilled open. He was unable to use his legs. He was unable to drive, that he had nerve damage, that he was going to need a coloscopy bag. And most importantly, he was unable to fly to Florida to start his job at SpaceX. Did he fall off the roof? I have not heard anybody confirm what the fall actually is, but it is my understanding that the story he told was that he fell down the stairs over one of the family dogs. Were the stairs from the roof? <laughs> Otherwise, I cannot understand how somebody could sustain that many injuries from falling down an indoor staircase. Oh, and you're like two flights max, mama, because they had a, an upstairs in the basement. Right. Because either you fall and it's not that serious or you fall and you like break your neck. Right. And there are a plethora of pictures of Chandler sitting around in this neck brace, including one with Bart and Mitchell on Father's Day. And Chandler sitting there in his neck brace playing Woe Is Me. And so this fall had happened early June, right? Or mid-June? I would say mid-June, yes. So he'd been faking those injuries for about two to three weeks. Correct. Continue. You were so concerned for him with this fall earlier, Cam. I was. I was. But before when he was saying, oh, yeah, I can't fly to Jacksonville anymore. I was like, if you really want this job, I'm sure there's a way for you to travel from Wisconsin to Florida without flying. And you're absolutely right about that, because in all those text messages that Catherine was showing to the police, they had a full days long conversation of Catherine looking for alternative options to get him down to Florida. This includes him riding the mega bus. This includes her driving. She was picking up her life to move for him too. Don't forget that. So she was putting in more effort to make his dreams come true than he was. And I'm going to go ahead and spoil this for you a little bit, but that is one of many reasons you're going to feel very bad for Catherine throughout this case. So despite the fact that you and I now know that everything Chandler said was a lie, remember, everybody else believed him. However, Bart and Krista were becoming more and more suspicious of Chandler's stories. So let me take you back a year to the summer of 2020, when Chandler claimed he started working at American Family Insurance. Chandler gets into an argument with his parents about paying rent and him seemingly never having any money despite him working what they think is two jobs. 
Bart also worked from home, so he knew that Chandler was getting up early. He was texting him to ask him if he was attending his meetings on time and how his day was going throughout most of the day. However, while Bart was working, Chandler was instead playing Call of Duty with his friends that he had made overseas. So instead of actually working from home, he was just playing video games all day and lying to his parents about it. I will say there are probably a lot of people who were playing video games while they said they were working from home during 2020. Oh, of course. And I'm not judging you for it, boo. But at least they still actually had a job to report to. This man playing Call of Duty and ain't even getting paid for it. (laughs) At least turn the stream on. Get some donations for it. Come on now. It's 2020, sir. That was prime streamer era. Summer 2020 was prime Among Us streaming era. Come on now. That's very true. And I'd also be curious if I was his parents because, okay, you're working two jobs. You're not paying rent anywhere else. You shouldn't really have any other expenses. You're probably eating at home. Parents probably take care of other bills too. Where is your money going? And you know, Bart and Krista wanted to know just that. So Bart confronts Chandler about the money issues because remember, Bart is an accountant. So if he knows anything, he knows how money is supposed to flow. And Chandler spins this whole story about how American family insurance is the problem and that American family insurance is why he hasn't been getting paid. He forwards Bart several email conversations that he has had with the human resources person explaining that they initially marked him as a salaried employee, but not an hourly employee and his paychecks were wrong. So they were just going to hold them until they got it fixed. Another time Chandler provided them with the wrong banking information. So his paycheck bounced when they tried to deposit it. And Once he finally got the banking information figured out, well, now when they tried to make the deposit, it was so much money that the bank thought it was fake and fraudulent. So they disputed the deposit. These were just a couple of the stories that Chandler told his father. And he would later forward emails to Bart to show his correspondence with the human resources manager. The only problem is. Chandler would be the one faking these emails. And if you read these emails, they are so obviously fake, it's laughable. One, they came from a generic Proton email account, not an American family email account. And and the emails were riddled with spelling errors, the funniest of which being the apparent resources manager was calling himself the recourses manager. My thing is, if you're going to lie, do it well. Because now, not only am I offended that you lied to me, I'm also offended that you thought I would believe it. Yeah, because I'm the same way. If you're going to lie, don't insult my intelligence. Just lie. You know? Right. But for reasons we do not know, Bart accepted Chandler's excuses and Chandler continued to sit in his room and play video games all day. 
And these video games are significant because Chandler ends up making a very close friend with a young man named Andrew Smith. He was stationed in Germany at the time when him and Chandler first started playing video games together. And he would kind of become Chandler's best friend through video games. And on the 12th of June, Andrew visits the Halderson home to meet Chandler for the first time. And with him, he brought Chandler a gift. Chandler's favorite gun from the video games they played together. An SKS rifle. As well as about 400 rounds of high-powered ammunition. And can you describe what an SKS rifle looks like? So I would say it looks like your standard rifle, very large gun, and it actually is extremely popular because it's extremely cheap. The average SKS rifle is only going to run you about $200. Got it. 400 rounds of ammunition is also wild. But honestly, at this point, I am ready to be surprised by any and everything that Chandler does. We got some good surprises coming up for you, friend. So once Chandler's friend leaves the home, the problems start back up for Chandler and his parents because Bart and Krista still want to know why he isn't getting paid and they want to know when Chandler will be graduating from Madison Area Technical College as they hadn't seen a transcript from him in a while and they were not sure when he was graduating. And this is when he comes up with his new job that he is now going to work at SpaceX. And he told everyone and anyone who would listen that he had gotten this dream job at SpaceX right down here in Florida. And he had convinced his girlfriend that they were gonna move down together and start their lives there. And she was more than willing to move from Wisconsin to Florida to be with and support him. And for a little while, this new job at SpaceX stops Bart and Krista from asking questions about the old job at American Family Insurance and when Chandler would be graduating. But that doesn't last very long because within one week, they're back asking questions about why Chandler didn't have any money and when was he going to be graduating from college to even start this new job at SpaceX. Right. Because it's cool, it's fine and dandy that you got the new job, but... Where's the money now? Mister, I'm about to move down to Florida with my girlfriend. Where's the money now? Right. With what money? With what money are you moving? And it's important to remember his girlfriend had a job. She was a nurse about her business working so she could take care of herself. And she was also at times sending him money. So he could eat, so he could do things, so he could leave the house. That's another thing she showed police during her interview. So as the pressure is building up on Chandler, that is when Mitchell is hospitalized. And in my opinion, Chandler realizes that his family is so concerned with Mitchell and his diagnosis that that gives him some space to figure out what he's going to do. He initially uses this hospitalization as a reason to delay his moving to his fake job at SpaceX. And his conclusion is that he also needs to have some kind of accident that puts him in the hospital. He thinks that he will get out of answering questions about a job or school because there's no way he can work if he is disabled. 
So a week after Mitchell goes to the hospital, Chandler has a fall in the family home and also needs to go to the hospital. And he grossly exaggerates all of his symptoms in hopes of getting himself out of the lies he has told over the last few years. And this fall seemingly has gotten Chandler out of going to Florida, out of not having any money and working at American Family Insurance. But the one remaining issue he had is that he told everyone that he was getting ready to graduate from Madison Area Technical College. And remember, he had been forging emails and conversations with advisors and forwarding them to his parents for the last two years. And at one point, he even bought a burner phone and called his dad and pretended to be his advisor. Again, trying to buy himself time and trying to get his parents to believe his lies. All this energy, I feel like it would have been easier to re-enroll and study. I have always said this, bro. It's like the amount of effort you have to put into the lie, you may as well just do the thing that you're lying about. Right. At that point. And the saddest part about all of this is that This call in particular, there's an email that Bart sends to Krista where he says, quote, when I talk to the advisor, he sounds just like Chaz on the phone, end quote. Chaz is a nickname for Chandler. All this energy and you're not even pulling it off. In my opinion, it is very evident based on the correspondence they found between Bart and Krista that they knew Chandler was lying, but I think they were trying to give him the opportunity to be honest and come forward by himself. And just another side note, these email correspondence that he was sending to his father from Madison College were just as bad and phony as the American Family Insurance emails, riddled with spelling errors, some of which included the spelling of some people's own names. Yes, he spelled the same person's name two different ways on multiple emails, sometimes within the same email. Honestly, this is why you flunked out. Right. And not to mention the fact that, again, these are all Gmail accounts and not Madison College EDU accounts. So because nothing is adding up with Chandler's story and timeline, Bart and Chandler are scheduled to have a meeting at Madison Area Technical College for July 1st at 3 p.m. And Bart plans to go to the college and have a direct conversation with them to understand what's going on with Chandler's schooling. But of course, you know, I know, and Chandler knows that he's not in college and he needs to find a way to get out of this meeting. However, Chandler messed up in one of his emails, and he provides a real Madison email address to one of the emails that he forwarded to Bart. This email belonged to a man named Omar Job, a customer service representative for Madison Area Technical College. And on June 29th, 2021, before Bart and Chandler are supposed to go to their meeting that Thursday, Bart calls Madison Area Technical College and pretends to be Chandler in order to get some answers about transcripts 
classes, and all other necessary information. And for 17 minutes, Bart Halderson speaks to Omar Job and asks for clarification on the lies his son had been telling him for almost two years. And when Omar confirms that Chandler is not a student, nor is he enrolled in classes for the upcoming fall semester, nor has he been enrolled in classes since 2019, I think it's safe to say that Bart is pretty disappointed. Bart asked if any of the fake people that Chandler had created on his previous email correspondence worked at the college. And of course, Omar tells him that none of those people are real. And with that information, Bart Halderson says, quote, well, that'll be it then, end quote, and gets off the phone. Because, yeah, I'm sure that Bart and Krista knew Chandler was lying about something, but they probably didn't think that he was lying this much. Exactly. Shortly after that call, at 3.27 p.m. on June 29th, Bart sends a text message to Chandler. Quote, I spoke to Omar Job." end quote. So I think it's safe to say that at this point, Bart knows that Chandler has been lying to him, but seemingly he doesn't confront Chandler with this information. And it is my speculation that, again, Bart was waiting to see what Chandler was going to say or do about the meeting they had planned on July 1st. And while Bart was waiting to see what Chandler was going to do, Chandler was sending a series of text messages to his girlfriend. So by Bart saying, I spoke to Omar Job," was that his way of saying, I know you're lying or what did. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I'm just not sure, because I would think that Chandler's like, oh, he spoke to somebody who actually works at the school. He probably knows. But do you think that Bart was expecting Chandler to come clean from that? Or was that his way of saying, I got you? I think it was Bart trying to tell Chandler, I know what's up. I spoke to the only real person on any of your emails and you need to be honest about it. That's how I took the text. Got you. All I'm saying is if I knew I was lying and then my dad texted me and said, I spoke to the person who you're running this lie with, you know, I'm going to I'm going to know he clearly knows something. I'm going to know I'm out. But it doesn't seem like there was any confrontation had. And while Bart was waiting to see what Chandler was going to do, Chandler was sending a series of text messages to his girlfriend. 7.26 a.m. I hardly slept. 7.27 a.m. I don't know. Stuff hasn't been going well for me lately, so I'm just trying to plan for the next thing to fuck me over. 7.51 a.m. Yeah, I just had a great future plan and it's falling apart. 1.04 p.m. I overheard they might go to the cabin with their friends, but I don't know. Are these in response to his girlfriend saying something? Yes, they are. I do not have her side of the conversation, but I think it's safe to infer based on the kind of person that Catherine was that she's saying something along the lines of, oh, why did you not sleep? What's going on? Your future's not over, babe. Are we getting together for 4th of July? 
Are we hanging out with your parents for Fourth of July? I think it's safe to infer that that is her side of this conversation. Got you. And it is at this moment, at 1.04 p.m. on July 1st, when he sends the text, I overheard they might go to the cabin with their friends, but I don't know, is when investigators believe that Chandler decides he's going to kill his parents in order to get out of the lies he has told. Because there is no evidence that Bart and Krista made any plans to go to the cabin that weekend. Nor did they call out of work, which both of them had never done. Nor did they tell Mitchell that they were going to be leaving town, which they also would have never done. At 2.10 p.m. on July 1st, 2021, Bart Howderson texts Chandler, quote, I'm ready when you are, end quote. And that is the last text that Bart Holderson sent to Chandler before his phone would never be used again. And it is believed at some time between this text message at 2.10 p.m. and when Krista returns home at 5 p.m., Bart Holderson was shot in the back multiple times with the SKS rifle. At 2.34 p.m., Chandler texts Krista, quote, Dad's phone died. Text or call me and pick up soda on your way home. I have an extra hour of work. End quote. Krista responds, quote, K, I can, with a smiley face. And at 5 p.m., neighborhood security footage shows her pulling up to the Halderson home and she is never seen again. And at 5.11 p.m., Chandler goes on his phone and he makes a note. And the note says, quote, Weekend chores, H2O2 lemon, which is hydrogen peroxide and lemon, which is a homemade concoction that is used to remove blood and blood stains. Door handles, move your shit upstairs, get a job, clean the floor, end quote. It's so funny to me because if you had gotten a job, you wouldn't have to do anything else on this list. Right. And that's exactly what he does for the rest of the day on July 1st. He eventually takes a shower where he has a FaceTime call with his girlfriend from the shower as he is seemingly washing his parents' blood down the drain. He tells his girlfriend that he has had a very long day and that he's so tired that he's going to go to bed early, shortly after 8 p.m. But instead, He goes to the local gas station to buy bags of ice. And remember, this is after he told the entire town that he couldn't drive and he couldn't lift heavy things because he was disabled. Right. And at 8.24 p.m., there is CCTV footage of him walking around a gas station with the mask on and with his AirPods in his ears buying bags of ice. And investigators believe that these giant bags of ice were for the purpose of keeping his parents' bodies chilled in the family deep freezer in the basement. And there is also evidence to suggest that he had started the process of dismembering his parents so that they would fit in the deep freezer. I forgot you said dismemberment was one of the topics. And if it can't get any worse, 
Chandler decides that in order to get rid of his parents' bodies, he is going to burn the remains in the family fireplace. And as you can imagine, this does not work. There is evidence that there was actually a little explosion from the human fat that was rendering out of his parents' bodies in the family fireplace. And when police check the ash trap of that fireplace, they find evidence of a human skull. And it is believed that he burned both of his parents' heads in the family fireplace. They were also able to collect other human bones from that ash trap and connect them to Bart and Krista. So after Chandler spent the entire night trying to burn his parents' remains, and it did not work, he needs to figure out a plan B because Catherine is coming over to the house the night of July 2nd. So the morning of July 2nd, at 7.21 a.m., he goes to the DeForest Fleet Farm to buy a tarp. And once he returns home, he continues cleaning all day in preparation for his girlfriend to come over. And not only does he ask her to bring him hydrogen peroxide and a Swiffer mop because he cut his foot, which actually means he cut his foot on the glass that exploded from the fireplace when he was attempting to burn his parents' remains. But he tells her he needs hydrogen peroxide and a Swiffer mop because he cut himself and there was blood that he needed to clean up. So this poor girl goes and buys cleaning supplies so that he could clean up his parents' blood from his home. And Catherine comes over. She brings the cleaning supplies as a target pickup order, no less, and helps Chandler clean up the house. And she actually spends the night in the house, not knowing that Bart and Krista are locked in the basement freezer. I just feel like everyone knows buying with cash is the best way to make any of your purchases untraceable. We know that credit card purchases can be very easily tracked. But I think the only thing that can be tracked more easily than that is a pickup order that you asked your girlfriend to pick up for you. Right. So the next day on July 3rd, Catherine has to leave the home and go to work. And she leaves the home at 7 a.m. to work. And Chandler tells Catherine that he's just going to be home all day resting because he's so tired. However, later in the morning, Catherine takes a break from work and she opens her phone and she's planning to message Chandler and check on him. And she opens up her Snapchat to send him a snap. And when she does, she's wondering why his location is not at the Halderson home. It is instead in a wooded area near the Wisconsin River. And she actually took a screenshot of this location because she thought it was so weird that he was out there after he told her that he would be home all day. Honestly, 
I think she took that screenshot because she was ready to catch him in some kind of lie. But instead, Chandler was actually there dumping his mother's remains. And this information is not found out until Catherine sits down to talk with the police on July 8th. And on that same day, after she tells them this information about the Snapchat map, police officers are dispatched to this location and they go out with cadaver dogs. And at this exact location, they find a pair of dismembered legs. And it would later be determined that these legs belong to Krista Alderson. And the police would also figure out that this is actually Chandler's favorite spot along the Wisconsin River. And they were actually provided with a photograph of Chandler hanging from a very distinct and specific tree just across the way from where they found Krista's remains. It's always so eerie when you see photos like that. Yeah. That's like, oh, look at this nice photo. Well, here's the dark story behind it. Yep. It is truly something that sends shivers down your spine. But shout out to Catherine for taking that screenshot, not even knowing the story behind it, but being like, hmm, this is weird. Right. Let me screenshot this location. Definitely shout out to Catherine because the reason we know majority of this stuff is because of her. But unfortunately, you can see when the pieces fall into place during her interview and she literally throws up she is so upset and I feel so bad for her in this case because when you look at it she has brought him cleaning supplies she stayed in the homes and the bodies were still in the home and she was there right and she's probably comforted him she has been there for him she's in the interrogation giving over information, thinking that it's going to help him, thinking that it's going to exonerate him. And instead, it puts every piece together. I feel so bad for her. So the next day, on July 4th, Chandler sends himself a text from Krista's phone. And then Chandler goes to spend the rest of the day with his girlfriend and her family. And Chandler mentioned how he really liked their pool because It felt like the water was good therapy for his body because they were still believing his concussion story at this time. And Catherine's mother's partner told Chandler that he was free to come by anytime and use the pool. And he enjoyed the rest of the day with them, watching the fireworks with his girlfriend as his parents' bodies lay in the basement freezer. And the next day, on July 5th, Chandler shows back up to the family farm unannounced and asked if he could use the pool as part of his therapy. And he starts telling Catherine's mom and her partner about how he had just gotten this terrible news, how he had just gotten this terrible diagnosis from the doctor and that he was going to lose his job at SpaceX. And after they attempted to comfort him, he informed them that he was going to go sit in the pool and think because he was just so devastated that he needed some time to be alone with this information. And an hour later, Catherine's mother decides to go outside to the pool 
and check on Chandler. And when she goes out to look for him, he's not in the pool. The pool cover hadn't even been taken off of the pool. Instead, he's at a different part of the property, out with his car, backed into an area with high grass, with his trunk open, and he's walking around out there. And she thinks, that's weird, but maybe he just needs some space to figure out where he's at in life. But she wants to use the pool, so she gets dressed, goes down, and gets in the pool. And a little while later, Chandler leaves the space where he was. He comes over to the pool and he just starts washing off his arms and just kind of splashes himself with water before awkwardly leaving the house. And based on this statement, the police walk to the area in question. And when they do, police find a human torso with several bullet holes in his back under a pile of sticks and debris. And it would later be determined that this torso belonged to Bart Alderson. Near his torso, they found a tarp with Krista and Bart's blood on it. They also found an oil drum nearby. And in that oil drum, they found broken saw blades, hand saws, tree loppers, and scissors which again had Bart and Chris's blood on it. The next two days are rather uneventful, but it seems like Chandler continued to clean up his mess and there is evidence of him driving around Wisconsin making random stops. And it is believed that at these random stops, he was dumping pieces of his parents' body. It is important to note that the only thing that was recovered of Bart and Krista's was Bart's torso and Krista's legs, both of which were recovered on the 8th of July. However, on July 7th, after dumping a bag of bloody rags in the trash can at Catherine's family farm, he texts her at 11.22 a.m. that he's going to go to the police. And at the police station, he makes his original statement that his parents were supposed to go to the cabin and never returned. And based on his statements, the police begin their investigation into what happened to Bart and Krista Halderson. And police were able to find out everything by the next day. And after they arrest Chandler and take him into custody, they find some very interesting Google searches on his phone. Of course. These include body found Wisconsin, woman's body found Wisconsin, Wisconsin dismembered body found, dead body found in Wisconsin, body found in Milwaukee River. In addition to these searches, he also looked up a court case of State versus Peter Capuza. And this is important because it is about a 1999 case of a man who murdered his wife, dismembered her body, and scattered it along the Wisconsin River. Just for the record, he was convicted and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And not only was he searching these things on the 8th, he also called the police on the 8th to ask them 
why there were suddenly so many more police officers in his neighborhood. And he asked if they had found anything. Why would you think that you're smart enough to fool the police when you couldn't even get through a semester of school? You couldn't even fool your parents. I think the saddest part about all of this is either Chandler thinks he's really smart and he's getting away with this and everybody actually believes him. Or he's an idiot and there's no in between. And while I do think both of these things can be true, I think he thinks that he's getting away with this. And I think he feels that way because nobody's calling him out. Right. Even Bart and Krista were trying to give him the opportunity to just be honest with them instead of them having to call him out. So I think that he thinks he's gaming the system and he thinks that everybody is buying the crap he is selling. So it's important to remember that at the time of this police call, they had already found Bart's torso and already gone through the neighborhood's footage and knew that Bart nor Krista ever left the house after July 1st. They knew that he was exhibiting weird behavior for the last few days And the police were just getting everything in place so that Chandler would peacefully come to the police station where they could interrogate and arrest him at 6.41 p.m., less than 48 hours after he had reported his parents missing. So Chandler is arrested and he is getting ready to go to trial. So on September 1st, 2021, Chandler Halderson silently pleaded not guilty to the eight charges against him. And these charges include two counts of first degree intentional murder, two counts of providing false information on a kidnapping, two counts of mutilating a corpse, and two counts of hiding a corpse. A month later, in October of 2021, the murder weapon would be found also on Catherine's family farm, under some wooden boards, 100 feet away from where they found Bart Halderson's torso. And the murder weapon was determined to be an SKS rifle, Chandler's favorite, the same SKS rifle that was given to him by his best friend, Andrew Smith. During the investigation, the police would also discover that Bart and Krista had over $1 million in life insurance on both of them that was scheduled to be distributed equally to their two sons upon their death. And though there is not any direct evidence that Chandler killed his parents for this insurance money, it is another factor that contributes to what police believe is the motive to kill Bart and Krista. I will note that In the trial, Mitchell testified that he had not gotten any kind of insurance payout at the time of the trial. I do hope he gets that money, though, because I'm sure with all of the things that went on in the case, that always is going to delay payouts from life insurance. Of course. And it makes sense. We need to have a closed case before we're giving out any money. I agree. I definitely think that's the way things should be handled. And despite all the blatant and clear evidence against him, Chandler went to trial in January of 2022. The way I am surprised Mitchell did not go up there and personally front hand, backhand, curb stomp, left hook, right hook this man 
Because not only did you do what you did, but now you have the audacity to claim that you're innocent. Yep. And Mitchell takes the stand in Chandler's trial. And you can tell that his feelings towards his brother are very complicated. And he's trying his best to keep a level head on the stand. You can feel it. Because there's one point where he looks over at his brother when he has to do the, oh, do you see your brother in the courtroom? When he has to do that, he looks over and he stares him dead in his eyes and he's silent for like five seconds. I don't want to ascribe any emotions to Mitchell whatsoever. I'm going to jump over the table and beat you up. That's just me. I'll go in for contempt. That's like 90 days max. I don't care. And when I'm in there for those 90 days, I'm running you for all 90 of them. (laughs) (laughs) I will take the L. I don't care. So Chandler's trial lasts about a month and it had to take a week long break in the middle because Chandler actually contracts coronavirus during his trial. And the prosecution laid out a very organized and straightforward case laying out all the information that I have presented to you today in this episode. The prosecution lays out all their evidence of Chandler's strange movements, of Chandler's lies, of how those lies were exposed, and how he killed his parents to protect his lies. And I actually watched this trial, and it was very, very interesting to watch the way the prosecution organized their case and told their case, in my opinion, to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Chandler murdered and dismembered his parents. Now, the defense, on the other hand, not to be mean, but it has to be the worst defending I have ever seen. They didn't even call a single witness for their case, and they barely cross-examined the witnesses that did show up to the court for the prosecution, despite the fact that the prosecution was laying out damning evidence against Chandler. Their whole argument is that we don't have direct evidence of Chandler killing his parents, and you have to jump to too many conclusions to get there. And because you don't have direct evidence, you cannot prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he killed his parents. I would say there's no need to jump to conclusions. We, we can simply walk over. I did not have to jump at all. It's right there. I really was able to tiptoe. Right. And look, if I want to give them something, I guess they are technically correct that this case is based on a good bit of circumstantial evidence. However, I think we can all agree that this is a time where you may only have circumstantial evidence but I know for a fact you did it. Right. They also try to say that even if the prosecution had proven that he killed his parents beyond a reasonable doubt, they couldn't prove his intent. So they couldn't prove that this wasn't self-defense or some kind of horrible accident. And thus you couldn't convict him of intentional first degree murder. Were these public defenders? Of course they were. Chandler's broke. But I'm also not giving them that excuse. I have witnessed some great public defenders. These two, in my opinion, just gave up on homeboy. Yeah. And obviously, I don't want him to get away with it. But everybody has the right to a a good defense. You know? Yeah. And I was asking that because I was like, I hope you didn't pay for this. Bruh. (laughs) 
But also to your point, I am sure that this would make it easier for him to claim an effective counsel if he does choose to appeal. I did see some rumblings of other places and people talking about that. But I have definitely found that the cases that I follow specifically, when you try to claim ineffective counsel, they have to be doing something that's borderline unethical for you to actually get an appeal on ineffective assistance of counsel. While that is put up very often, it very rarely ever is the reason that your case is appealed. Got you. Now, granted, after watching this one month trial, do I think he might have a case? (laughs) I'm not going to say yes. But. Right. (laughs) I got you. And there's one line in their opening statement that when they said it, it baffled me, which is look for evidence that is not there because that is evidence as much as any evidence that is there. Am I tripping or does that not make any sense? (laughs) That sounds like what somebody says when they're lying and trying to cover up their lie. That part. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. You found me texting the other girl, but look at all the other texts where I'm not texting her. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh my God. You're right. I mean, but you read the text. I didn't even say anything that bad. Right. See, in that, in that text message, I'm just saying good morning. Not can I come over to you tonight. Thanks. <laughs> Period. Exactly. I can't help my cousin bring in the groceries. That's essentially what they said. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. And I think this statement just really bothers me because you're a defense attorney. Isn't it your job to point out where there's not evidence? Isn't it your job to build a defense that shows me, the jury member, where the holes are so that the holes can hold for your client? Is that not your job? Now, honestly, does it make me sick when I see defense attorneys do this and they do it well? Sometimes, absolutely. Especially if I think a person's guilty. However, comma... You still have to do it. I go into trials all the time thinking somebody's guilty. And then their defense starts laying out a case. And I'm like, dang, but that actually makes sense. (laughs) Y'all didn't even lay out a case for him. I know the state has to prove their burden, but you didn't even try to poke holes in it. If anything, in your closing argument, you gave them a charge. She flat out tells the jury that in her closing argument, This right here, this is evidence. This is evidence that he did this. You should convict him of this. It's one of the filling out of a fake police report things. Basically carries a fine, no jail time. But why are you telling the jury about things that they should convict your client of? Why are you doing that? Why did you point that out? Why did you point that out for them when the prosecution didn't even point it out for them? Why are you helping the prosecution? That's not your job. (laughs) I'm sorry if I got in a little bit of a tangent here, but the defense in this case truly baffled me to my core. (sighs) So needless to say, Chandler Halderson was found guilty on all eight counts and he was later sentenced to two life sentences without the possibility of parole. And at his sentencing hearing, 
he spoke to the court for the first time and he said, quote, your honor, I want to take this opportunity to state my intent to appeal my convictions. If there are any lawyers listening and willing to take my appeal, take a moment to please reach out to me. It's not that I do not have feelings. It is that I was warned not to show them due to the scrutiny of this case. Thank you. End quote. That is all he had to say for himself. With his brother, his girlfriend, her family, all of their friends, everybody that he has hurt as a result of his actions. This is what you get up and decide to say. Personally, I would have been less offended had you said nothing. Had you had just taken your sentence and walked your butt back behind those bars. Right. Because you took this moment to be selfish, which is not surprising looking at his history, but I'm sure it still hurt nonetheless. Absolutely. And if I wasn't going to get contempt of court before, I would definitely be getting it now because I would have jumped the barrier. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I would have had to jump the barrier because clearly you don't understand what's going on here. So Bart is remembered as a loving husband, father, and friend. He was known for his hard work and dedication to his family and always ensured that they had everything they needed. He had a friendly demeanor and a welcoming smile that made him a pillar of support for those around him. He was only 50 years old at the time of his murder. Krista Halderson is remembered as a loving wife, mother, and a nurturing presence in the lives of all who knew her. Her selflessness knew no bounds, and she always put others' needs before her own. Krista's love of her family was unwavering, and her genuine care and compassion was felt by everyone who had the privilege of crossing her path. She was only 53 years old at the time of her murder. And that's the end of our story, friend. I have thoughts. I have many thoughts. I think the first one is, I can only imagine the pain that Bart and Krista felt in their final moments. The pain, the confusion, the disappointment, all of that. Patricide is so difficult because that person's life is being taken by someone that they gave life to. And I'm sure it was especially painful for Bart and Krista because as far as we know, they raised their children in a loving household. And to have been repaid like that is so unfair. I completely agree with you. And I especially feel like it was super cold to do what he did to Krista because he texted her to buy himself time. And it is my speculation that he probably just ambushed her when she came home. I'm sure she was absolutely blindsided when she came home and he did what he did. And the worst part about it is that it was for something so trivial. And even if the conversation was, we realized that you've been lying to us for the past two years, they would have still loved him. They would have still supported him. They just wanted him to be honest. And even after he was caught, he couldn't even tell the truth, not even to let police know where he put the other parts of their body so that they could have a funeral with at least most of their remains. Exactly. 
And that was one of the things that the prosecution brought up in their opening statement is how he scattered their bodies and didn't even allow them to have a burial together or near each other because people said that Bart and Krista loved each other deeply because you see people who've been married for 30 years and they just thugging it out because there's no other option. And they were two people who loved each other. There was love in that marriage. And this case for me just points out why it is so detrimental to let liars get away with it and let them lie to you and to let liars think that their lies are working because it never gets better. They never reflect. They never think that, oh, maybe I won't lie next time because I got away with it this time. That's never the case. It just escalates. And in my opinion, the first time Chandler's lies were not allowed to slide is when he was arrested on July 8th. That was the first time in his life where his lies were not going to get him out of a situation, even if everybody knew he was lying. That is why I, in my personal life, make it a point to call out people when they lie to me. I will not allow you to think that you're pulling one over on me. Because when you do, it just gets worse and worse and worse. I'm not saying everybody escalates to murder, but I'm telling you that if somebody is lying to you constantly, they will not suddenly stop lying to you of their own volition. They will stop lying to you when you call them out for it. And for him to make the decision to murder his parents, to cover up his lies, and then have the nerve to put on your notes to-do list to get a job. When again, if you had just gotten a job, we wouldn't be here. It's just ridiculous to me. It's just ridiculous to me. Yeah, I think one of the saddest parts about all of this is it was so unnecessary. Yeah, and so senseless. So senseless. And I mean, even aside from the harm he caused his parents, the trauma that he's inflicted on his brother, on his ex-girlfriend. I would not be surprised if Catherine never feels like she's able to trust anyone again. I wouldn't either. Especially you allowed him in your home. You went and picked up the supplies for him. The, the guilt that I would feel, and it's not her fault. She did nothing wrong at all she does not deserve to carry any guilt whatsoever but I wouldn't be surprised if she did and I wouldn't be surprised if there were lifelong consequences to this for her and then especially with Mitchell now Mitchell has to get married and move on with his life without his parents or his brother he still had not gotten married at the time of the trial I do not know if he is married now, but imagine to not have my wedding day with my parents because my brother took them away from me. And then you and you inflict all this trauma on everybody else. And the only thing you have to say for yourself is I will be appealing my case. Based on what? Delusion. Period. Again, you should have just said nothing like you had this entire time. 
He had not uttered a word since he was arrested. You should have just said nothing. And that would have been less disrespectful to your parents, disrespectful to your brother, disrespectful to your girlfriend, disrespectful to everybody. The whole community that you were knocking on door to door, you were knocking on people's doors, asking to look through their security footage when you knew you had murdered your parents, when you knew you had scattered their body parts across the city. You did that. The trauma you put on this community. And the only thing you have to say for yourself is, I'll be appealing my case. If you're a lawyer, please reach out to me. Any other thoughts, friend? Nope. That's all I've got. Thank you to our listeners for joining us for this episode. I'd also like to thank Mike from that chapter, as well as Law and Crime for providing most of the material for this episode. If you'd like to check out photos related to this case, be sure to follow us at Criminalish Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. Listeners, if you like what you hear, be sure to also leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening to the Criminalish Podcast. And if you are listening on Spotify, feel free to leave any comments or questions. As always, stay nosy, my friends. Bye. Bye.